While you're turning, just let me mention to you, uh, we last Wednesday night decided with the time change to adjust our Sunday night service to 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And uh, normally it's at 6, but uh, we're doing this to try to help some folks that have a a difficult time traveling after dark. Uh, So uh, we're going to try it for four weeks, I think it is, and uh, see how it works. And uh, if we are okay with keeping it that way through the winter months, if not, if we don't like it after four weeks, we'll go back to the 6 o'clock hour. But um, just trying to be a help to a few of our folks that struggle with driving after dark. And so I want to remind you of that. We'll have just a short break from uh, noon to 1 o'clock. You can go grab a bite of lunch. And uh, then we'll have our evening service at 1 o'clock instead of 6 o'clock tonight. And um, we'll see how that goes. Genesis chapter 28, we'll begin reading in verse number 10. I want to give just a real quick word of background before we get into uh, the text this morning. And I just want to start off by saying, uh, if you've been in church a long time, if you've grown up in church, uh, you hear a lot of stories, especially a lot of the Old Testament stories in Sunday school growing up. And if we're not careful over time, uh, we get to where the... Uh, Bible is kind of, it, it, it doesn't hold the, uh, the awe that it used to have. When we used to read these stories or hear these stories when we were kids, uh, we used to sit on the edge of our seats. I remember uh, as a young boy sitting in Sunday school listening to stories like David and Goliath and Daniel and the lion's den and the three Hebrew boys and thinking, boy, this is exciting stuff. This is pretty amazing. And if we're not careful over time, we lose some of that, that uh, excitement over God's Word and so I want to encourage you and urge you as we come to the Lord's Word each day or each week uh, or in your personal walk with Him and, and spending time with Him in, in His Word, let me encourage you to uh, look at the Bible as if it's the first time you've ever read it and let the spectacular uh, idea and thoughts of what God is saying to us come across in that way. Uh, the fact is God is, God is unexplainable. Uh, he's beyond anything we can comprehend, and the words that he's given us and the, the, the truths that he's given us in his word are absolutely spectacular. And uh, sometimes I think we go through the drudgery of reading our Bibles, and yet there ought to be great excitement in that as we look to it. And I, I want to encourage you. Can you do that? I, especially if you've been uh, doing it for a long time in your life, it's, it's easy to get into the routine and the rut or the habit of it. And uh, I want to encourage you, just, just take a few moments before you start reading sometimes to look at the, um, the omniscience of God, the omnipresence of God, His holiness, His loving kindness, His patience. You go through all of these things. And I heard one fellow say at one time this way, we ought not to just read the Word of God, but we ought to be reading about the God of the Word. So when we come to God's Word, we ought to be looking for Him in Scripture. And if that doesn't excite your heart, I don't know what will, because I'll tell you, every time you go looking for the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, He doesn't make it very hard to find Him. He's right there with you. And uh, it does bring joy to your heart and encourage you. So I want to challenge you in that, if you would. And as we look to the passage this morning, we're going to be reading about a story of Esau and Jacob. And um, many people understand or have heard this story years ago of Jacob and Esau, the twins that were born to Isaac. And how that Esau was the firstborn and deserved the birthright and the blessing. And uh, we're not going to go into a lot of detail on that. But um, the uh, birthright uh, was a portion of the inheritance. And the firstborn was to receive a double portion. 
and then the blessing of God was, or the blessing of the Father was to transfer the uh, leading of the family or the headship of the family, the authority, if you will, uh, to the Son. And uh, so two of these things are very, very important, especially in Jewish culture. And uh, we know the story of Abraham who had Isaac and Ishmael, and Isaac being the chosen son and the one that God gave promise to. And then Isaac gives birth to Jacob and Esau, two twins, and Esau was supposed to be the one that got the birthright and the blessing. If you know or have been around Scripture very much at all, you can remember the story how that Jacob tricked Esau out of his birthright he, um, and, and tricked him out of the blessing. He, he actually blackmailed Esau with the, the birthright. And we're going to read just a, a little portion. Uh, well, we probably won't read a, a portion of that story. We're going to read a little portion of the end of this, of what happened in the aftermath of this uh, trickster, this Jacob, uh, stealing the birthright and the blessing from his brother Esau. Esau was a man that was a, a very big, strong, uh, husky fellow. He went outside, was an outdoorsman, was a hunter. Jacob was more of the guy that stayed at home. And uh, he, he tended... Uh, uh, the household things and grew vegetables and, and tilled the garden, that sort of thing. And um, so it, it, I can imagine, you know, you, you get two brothers together, uh, probably fought a lot, probably knew that Esau could probably beat him up pretty good. And uh, I don't know if you've ever had a brother like that or a sister like that if you're a lady uh, where you guys didn't get along real well. I'm sure these things happened between these two fellas. And once Jacob had stolen the birthright and the blessing from Esau. Esau was very, very angry. And so Jacob's mom and dad, Isaac and his mother, uh, tell Jacob, listen, you need to flee. You need to get away. Your brother's getting ready uh, to come after you, and you need to get away. And that's where we're going to pick up reading this morning, so that kind of gives you a little bit of a background story to where we're coming from. And we're going to begin reading in verse number 10, uh, Genesis chapter 28 and verse number 10. And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set, and he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows and laid down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set upon the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father and the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it into thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the, rest and to the, uh, to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken of thee. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And he was afraid, and said, How dreadful is this place! This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose up early in the morning, and took the stone that he put had put for his pillows and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of that city was called Luz at first. And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, 
and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace. Then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone, which I have set for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will give the, uh, give the tenth unto thee. Father, I pray that you'll bless the message and speak to our hearts. I pray that you'll help us to learn some things from the life of Jacob and that we will have the wisdom to learn from uh, the things that you have taught others so vividly and clearly in the past. Lord, I pray that it would be our heart's desire to be all that you would want us to be as a Christian, that we would seek to live a life that is pleasing to you. And Father, we most importantly this morning are concerned and burdened about those that maybe have never had a time and an opportunity to trust you as their Savior. And Father, if there's somebody here this morning that does not know if they were to die, they would go to heaven. If they've never gotten that matter settled, they don't know for sure. I pray that through the preaching of your word and the convicting of your Holy Spirit that you'll show them that need this morning and that they'll get that matter settled before they leave here today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Jacob is at a very uh, tumultuous time in his life. He's uh, afraid, I would think certainly afraid at this point. I'm sure he's probably uncertain of what the future holds. He doesn't know what he's getting ready to do. Uh, I don't know when Jacob decided to trick his father into giving him the blessing, if he thought it all the way through, if he had anything planned beyond just receiving the blessing from his father. But suffice to say that his father and mother sent him away. And they send him away from something that he's comfortable in, and we all know what that's like. We have a home, we have a family, we have mom, dad, uh, brother, sister, sometimes children or parents. And if you could kind of put yourself in Jacob's position this morning for a few moments and realize what he must have been going through at this point in his life. He's being sent away from his mom and dad, that which he's comfortable with. That's where his comfort zone is. I'm sure some anxiety I'm certain there was some uncertainty in his heart and his life. And I don't know about you, but there are times in my life I've gotten to those places myself. And I think uh, if we were to go around the room, many could raise their hand and say, I've been there. I've been to the place where I'm uncertain about where my life is going and what I'm supposed to be doing. And Jacob goes and, and begins to travel to his uncle's house. And the Bible says that he went out from Beersheba, and that's where we began He's in danger, he's by himself, he's alone, he's cold, he's tired, and so he finds a place and uh, sets up some stones for a pillow, the Bible says, and he goes to sleep, and God gives him a vision. Now, this is interesting because we don't uh, have visions today that we speak of as far as what the Bible did in the old times, and the reason was back then they didn't have a, a Bible, they didn't have the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ in written format. And so a lot of times the way that God spoke to Old Testament saints was through a vision or through a prophet. And uh, we don't have so much of those things going on today because the Bible says that we have the completed and finished revelation of God, what He wants us to have in His Word. And so we have everything God wants us to know right here in front of us. And then He gives us the Holy Spirit to help guide and direct us and uh, get us in going the right way. And uh, so we don't have these kinds of visions, these distinct visions, but Jacob had one. And it's very, very clear. Now, I don't know how they discerned or knew between just a regular dream and a dream that they felt was from the Lord. If there was something vividly different between the two, obviously there was something that caused them to know 
that this was a distinct vision from God himself. And Jacob dreams this dream. We're not going to talk a lot about the significance of the dream. There's a lot of preachers that have preached messages on the angels ascending and descending and the Lord being above the ladder and uh, those types of things. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on that because I want us to learn this morning some lessons that Jacob learned through this ordeal and through what, was, what God was putting him through. And I want us to look at several things here. We're going to kind of begin uh, in verse number 13 and see what the Lord says uh, to Jacob. He begins in verse 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, and I want you to notice very clearly what he says here. He says, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. I'm going to stop there for just a moment and just say this, that when God comes to Jacob, he begins by saying, Jacob, I was Abraham's God. And I was Isaac's God. And this is the one that's speaking to you right now. I want you to notice that at this point, God is not Jacob's God. And and there may be some question about that, but you'll see in a few minutes when we get to a certain place, you'll see that he's not yet Jacob's God. Uh, I I just want to point out something very very quickly here, and then we're going to move on, that raising your children in a godly home is not enough. It's not enough. Um, just because you serve as parents, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, doesn't mean that your children are going to take him as their God. There's got to come a time in everybody's life where they make a choice for themselves. And by the way, if you're here today and you say, well, I'm religious and I go to church because my mom and dad did, can I tell you this? That's not enough. If you say, I go to church because I've always gone to church and that's all what I've always been about, can I tell you, that's not enough. At some point, God has got to become your God. At some point, you've got to realize that you're a sinner just like everybody else. And there's no way that you can save yourself from your own sins. Impossible. You cannot do enough good to save yourself and earn a home in heaven. You cannot, um, you, you cannot give enough uh, righteousness to God. In fact, the Bible says the very best that we have, our righteousness is the, the best that we can do our filthy rags to God. And we speak of that all the time in our church to understand this, that without Christ, there is no hope. We cannot go to heaven on our own merit. We cannot earn our way to heaven. We cannot be good enough to get to heaven. We can't go to church enough to go to heaven. We can't be in a godly enough home to go to heaven. There has to be a time where we realize we are lost. And there has to be a time where we realize the only way I'm going to get there is if I put my faith In the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm trusting what He did for me, not what I can do. I'm not saying I'm going to heaven today because Brother Greg is the pastor at Keith the Heights Baptist Church. I wouldn't tell anybody that I'm going to heaven today because I was raised in a Christian home. I'm not telling anybody today that I'm going to heaven because I went to a Christian school and then off to a Christian college. And I'm not going to tell anybody today that I'm going to heaven because I try to do a lot of good things and try not to do a lot of bad things. I'm not going to tell people that. If somebody asks me, Brother Greg, how do you know you're going to heaven? I'm going to say I have no chance unless the Lord Jesus Christ comes into my heart and forgives me of my sin and takes me there of himself. My faith is in him. And Jacob is at a place in his life where God is not his God yet. And so when God approaches Jacob, he comes to Jacob and he says, I'm the God of Abraham. You remember the God that your grandfather served? The one that 
talked about the miracles that happen. You know when they sat you down when you were a young boy and talked about the time that he had to take your dad up to a mountain as a young boy and put him on an altar and God stopped him and said, I'll provide myself a lamb. You remember all those times? You remember when, when your grandfather was so old and didn't have a child of his own through your mother, Sarah? You remember when God promised that in their old age they would bear a son that would be the father of all? You remember? And remember telling, and, and Jacob learned all these things. But it was not his God. So when God comes to Jacob, he says, Jacob, this is the God of your father, Abraham. This is the God of Isaac that's speaking to you. And I don't know about you, but if I'm Jacob at this point in my life, I'm sitting up and I'm taking notice. Whether he's my God or not, I I do know what he did for my father and I know what he did for my grandfather. And I'm sitting up and I'm taking notice. And he says unto him in verse number 14, The land whereon thou liest to thee will I give it into thy seed. And by the way, this is a renewal or a reaffirmation of the promise that he's already given to Abraham and he had already given to Isaac. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee. Probably one of the greatest promises that you'll ever hear in Scripture is for God. We're not talking about a God. We're talking about the God. The God of heaven. The God that created all that is. To come to Jacob and say, Jacob, I am with thee. What kind of promise is better than that? By the way, if you're saved this morning, you've trusted Christ as your Savior. He says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He's with you. What a promise. As a Christian, is there anything that would ever get to the point of discouragement that we would be uh, down in the dumps and wonder, oh, oh, poor is me, I just don't know. God is with us. Even through the valley, God is with us. Even through the sorrow, God is with us. It doesn't matter what we go through in life. The Bible says, the psalmist wrote this, that if he went to the heavens, God was there. If he made his bed in hell, God was still there. If he went to the uttermost parts of the earth, behold, God was there. There's no way to get away from him. The Bible teaches, shall principalities and powers and things present and things to come, would any of these things separate us from the love of God? And there's The truth of the matter is this, if you're here this morning you've trusted Christ as your Savior, Can I tell you this morning, God is with you. God is with you. He won't leave you. He won't forsake you. And what a promise. I'll tell you, if there's nothing else to be excited about as a Christian, you can be excited about the fact that God is with you. And Jacob learns this fact. And I don't know, again, you've got to put yourself in the position Jacob's in. I don't know quite his full mindset, but I certainly know he's scared. I know he's uncertain about life. He's not sure what's going to happen. And for God, the God of his grandfather and the God of his father, to come along and say, Jacob, I am with thee. Boy, can you imagine the burden and the relief that must have rolled off of him. To hear that the same God that did miraculous things for his family was going to be a blessing to him also. He starts by saying, I am with thee. Look with me, if you will, in verse number 15. And behold, I am with thee. And will keep thee. The Bible says that God is our fortress. 
and our high tower. The Bible talks about Him being our shield, our buckler. The Bible talks about Him being our defense. And not only does God reside with us, but God keeps us. And by, in fact, the Bible says that it's only by His mercies that we're not consumed every day. Aren't you glad that not only does He save us, but He keeps us saved? I'm thankful that even when I still mess up after I've been saved, it's not dependent upon me, it's dependent upon Him. I'm thankful that He keeps us. He keeps us in the way. He watches our path. He makes sure that we are protected and not anything that He doesn't want to happen to us can happen to us. Because He's not only with us, but He keeps us. And He tells Jacob this in verse number 15. In all the places whither thou goest and will bring thee again unto this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. Can I tell you this, that God is a God who keeps His Word. If God said it, it doesn't matter whether we believe it or not. That settles it. Forever, O Lord, the Bible says, Thy Word is settled in heaven. If God has promised it, you can mark it down. It's going to happen. You say, Brother Greg, I just don't think... That's a little far-fetched what He said right there. No, if He said it, it's going to happen. You can mark it down. He's a God of His Word. And he promises Jacob, and it's very important to Jacob at this point. It's a crucial time in his life. He's not Jacob's God yet. And so he comes to Jacob and he says, As I was with your father and, 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 I, and your grandfather and the promises that I made to them, I'm making the same promise to you. And I said, I'm going to be with you and I'm going to keep you. And he says, I'm not going to leave you until I've kept all that I've said I'm going to do. That's got to be reassuring to Jacob. And he goes on to say in verse number 16, And Jacob awaked out of his sleep. And he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. If you're in the habit of writing in your Bibles and you have a pen, you might want to underline that phrase, and I knew it not. I want to spend a little bit of time on this this morning. The Bible speaks here of the fact that God's presence was there with Jacob, and yet Jacob didn't know it. How often in our lives, even in, in, in Christian circles, even when we go to a church that preaches and teaches the Word of God, even when we understand that God is omnipresent, he, He's everywhere we, we go, even though He's all-knowing, even though He's all-powerful, why is it that so often we get to circumstances of life and we know not that He's there? Jacob was at this point. In fact, the Bible says here in verse number 16 that when he waked out of the sleep and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I knew it not. The Bible says in verse 17, and he was afraid. By the way, that's the natural response when you don't realize that the Lord is with you. That's the natural response when you look at life from the standpoint of, I'm facing it alone. That's the natural response that you have when you look at the world you live in without Christ and without uh, knowing that He's with us and keeping us and directing our paths. That's the natural response we have. And by the way, if you're here this morning, you say, Brother Greg, I've never trusted Christ as my Savior. I don't know if, I'm, uh, if I died right now, I'd go to heaven. And I have a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety in my life, and I just don't understand it. If we don't realize that God's presence is there, we're going to have a lot of fear. I want you to notice that Jacob realized and recognized that God was there. 
He didn't know it before, but he realized it then. And when he realized it, because of the condition that he was in, he was afraid. He was afraid. He was away from the Lord at best. He was afraid because the Lord's presence was there. By the way, these guys that will get up and talk about seeing God, having a vision of God, these guys that will get up in the pulpits today and talk about how God is their buddy and their pal, can I tell you this? Not in my Bible. When I find people coming into the presence of God, I find them falling on their faces and saying, Woe is me. And boy, it'd do us good to have a little more reverence to God in the day that we live, wouldn't it? I'm thankful He allows me as His child to come to Him and call Him Father, but He's still the God of the universe. He still not only deserves, but even demands and respects my, uh, expects my respect and my reverence to Him. And here's Jacob. He doesn't even know that His presence is there, and when he realizes that His presence is there, it brings fear to his heart. Because Jacob knew what he was, didn't he? Jacob knew what he had just done. Jacob knew that his life was certainly not a model life. Aren't you glad that it doesn't matter what we do in our lives? God is always ready to give us a second chance. The Bible says in verse number 17, And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place. This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. I want you to notice, <coughs> excuse me, as we get down to verse number 20. The Bible says, And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, and I want you to notice these two letters. Well, the next word is, if. You see that? You ought to underline that if you've got a pen, you're, you have it in a, underlining your Bible, you ought to underline that because this is very important. And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me. Can I say this? That's a far cry from Abraham's faith, isn't it? God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham! <laughs> and Abraham doesn't even know what God's going to ask him to do yet, and he already says, here am I. Okay, God, I'll do it. Wait a minute, Abraham, you don't know what I'm going to ask you. It doesn't matter, Lord. I trust you. I have faith in you. Abraham had the faith that when God told him to go, and Abraham came to God and said, where am I going? He said, I want you to go to a country that I'll show you. I want you to go to a place that I'll, you just get going and I'll show you. You just go ahead and do it and I'll, I'll take care of the rest. There were times when I was a kid I couldn't understand some things and my dad would tell me certain things. <coughs> and as a kid I didn't understand. I, I asked the same question that most of us asked of our parent at one time or another when they told us to do something. And that was, why? <laughs> you ever been there? Ever asked your parent Why? And they stayed this, this unbelievable statement that I found that as I got older and had my own kids, I say the exact same thing. It's the same phrase. And probably your parents used it too. Because I... <laughs> we all know it, don't we? And the reason was because we couldn't have understood it. We just needed to obey. And can I tell you this? Abraham had that kind of faith. Abraham had the kind of faith that when God said, Abraham, I want you to go... He said, yes, sir. Where am I going? Doesn't matter. Just go. I'll show you. Yes, sir. I'll go. Jacob has just been addressed by the God of the universe in a vision, no less. He's been told by the God of the universe, I'm the same God that your grandfather Abraham had. 
and your father Isaac had. And Jacob, I'm going to do for you the same thing that I promised your grandfather and your father. I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'm going to give you the land that you're, you're laying on here as far as you can go. He starts going through all of these things. He says, Jacob, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to keep you. I'm not going to leave you until I've said, until I've completed all that I've said I will do. This is the God of the universe. And Jacob is coming and questioning him. And saying, okay, okay God, let's make a deal. What arrogance and what audacity. We we critically look at this as we see Jacob saying, if God will do this, if you'll do this, then I'll do this. And he's bargaining with God. And we're critical of that, aren't we? But how often do we do that? We say, oh, I'm a, I'm a Christian pastor. I, I know God is my Savior. And, and I have faith to not only believe that God can do certain things, I believe He will do certain things. And then we get in the trials of life and we come to God and we try to bargain with Him. If you're really God, then wouldn't you do this for me? And Jacob comes to God and he says in verse number 20, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again with my father to my father's house in peace. Then shall the Lord be my God. But not yet. God is not Jacob's God yet. If I'm God, I'm saying, okay, Jacob, if that's the way you want to be, you go on, I'll find somebody else. But aren't you glad our God is not that way? God said, okay, Jacob, I've given you my word, and I'm going to keep my word. We're not going to take time to go through all these other chapters, but I do want you to turn with me to chapter number 35, because over the next several chapters, God does everything for Jacob that he promised he would do. I want you to look with me as we get to uh, chapter number 35 of the book of Genesis. And God said unto Jacob, Arise. Go up to Bethel and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Then Jacob said unto his household and all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean, and change your garments. And by by the way, let me just say this. When you start getting right with God and coming to God, it seems like all those things that ought not to be in our life start to disappear. We began to put them away. We began to say, not, not anymore. I used to be, but I'm not anymore. You say, Brother Greg, do I have to be that way to come to God? No. But I found that when you come to God, that just kind of happens. When you get saved, something in you changes. So he has his family put all this away. And he says in verse number 3, And let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God, who answered me. What an amazing thought. Who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. Isn't that what God promised him? You think Jacob's starting to get the idea now? And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand 
and all their earrings which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them, and they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, which was in the land of Canaan, and that is Bethel, he and all the people that were with him. And he built there an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. But Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried beneath Bethel under the oak. And the name of it was called Allah Bakath. And God appeared unto Jacob again when he came out of Pandanarum and blessed him. And God said unto him, Thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel shall thy name shall be thy name. And he is he called his name Israel. And God said unto him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins. Jacob, whose name meant trickster, prankster, had a poor reputation, a poor testimony during his life. Finally gets to a place where God comes to him and says, you're not that trickster anymore. You're not the prankster. Your name now is Israel, which means prince with God. Jacob. Jacob in his ignorance, in his arrogance, in his distrusting mind of a trickster. Heard from the God of the universe who said, Jacob, if you'll do these things. Or he said, I promise to the, you that I will do these things. And Jacob comes to him and says, God, if you'll do them, then I'll make you my God. I, I don't know what Jacob's heart was at the time. I kind of suspect that Jacob half-heartedly thought, I don't think God will do it for me. I mean, here's a, here's a man that didn't trust anybody. His mind, his heart, his whole, his whole purpose of being was to be a, a trickster to try to con people out of other things. Hard for him to trust. I wonder how hard it is for you and I to trust God. I, I, we don't preach on this topic very often. We talk about the fact we need to trust God. We talk about the fact we need to have faith. But how hard is it for you and I to just simply let go and say, okay, God, how difficult is it? We may be sitting here this morning and saying, I, I, I love God. I, I come to church. I, I, I try to do what the Bible says, but, well, there are just some things that I just can't seem to just let go of. There, there's those things that I just can't, can't say, okay, God, you have it all. You have all of me. I can trust Him with some things. I just can't quite trust Him with everything. Yet, God is faithful, isn't he? And he brings Jacob to the place where he finally says, Jacob, I've kept everything I've ever told you. You now look at me as not just a God, but the God Almighty. And finally, God becomes Jacob's God. Unbelievably, God becomes the trickster's God. 
and says, I'm going to make of you a great nation. My chosen people are going to be because of you. Your name is no more Jacob, but now it's Israel. Prince with God. Let me ask you a question this morning. How hard is it for you and I to trust God? To take Him at His word? You say, well, I know that God's done some great things in the past. I have no doubt of that. I have faith in the fact that God is who He says He is. But when it comes to the things that pertain to your life, how hard is it to trust Him? How difficult is it to say, God, I'm giving it all to You. I'm casting all of my care on You. How hard is it as a lost person, somebody who knows that there's sinners and and, and there's no way to save themselves. How hard is it to simply say, God, I can't do it. I can't save myself. But you can. I'm going to trust you. I'm just going to trust you. Take that burden, that weight, and cast it on the Lord Jesus Christ, and He's promised to bear it. You say, Brother Greg, you don't know the sins I've done. No, but He does. And He's promised that He'll forgive you of them. And He'll take His own precious blood that He spilt on Calvary and He'll cover your sins with it. And He'll give you a home in heaven for eternity simply because He loves you. If you're here this morning you're saved, how many things in our life do we have a hard time trusting God with? Just saying, God, I trust you. I trust you. I just want you to, I just want you to have full control I'm taking my hands off of it. You may be sitting here this morning going through something that maybe even people in this room don't know that you're going through. You may be sitting there wondering, how in the world am I going to make it through this? And God says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give thee rest. Oh, that we would learn to trust Him. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. Father, we're thankful for your word. Lord, a beautiful, beautiful picture you've given to us. Jacob surely was a scoundrel. No doubt about it. We look at his life. We're very critical of him in the early years. Even when you come to him and you tell him who you are and what all you've done and what you're going to do for him, even then, Lord, he can't trust you. He has to prove you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to learn from Jacob's life that if you've told us these promises, you're going to fulfill them. That we can trust you with every part of our life. We can trust you with our soul. We can give it to you. We can trust you for the fact that we need to be saved. Lord, as Christians, we can trust you with the circumstances of life the things that weigh heavy upon us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be strengthened this morning in the area of our faith. We would be able and willing to trust you with all of our hearts. I pray that you'll bless the invitation time. Lord, use it as you would see fit. Father, if there's one here today that does not know if they're saved, they don't know if they were to die right now, that they'd go to heaven. I pray that you'd help them to come forward during the invitation and let us have the opportunity to show them how they can be saved this morning from your word.
Bless the time that we spend here together this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. With heads bowed, please, and eyes closed. And no one looking around. The piano and organ will begin to play a hymn of invitation. If God has spoken to your heart, would you come this morning? Maybe you're here this morning, you're a Christian, but you've had a hard time trusting God with some things. You just feel like, I just can't let that part go. I've got to hold on to it. Maybe you're here this morning, you say, Brother Greg, I don't know if I were to die, I'd go to heaven. I've, I've trusted a lot of things to take me to heaven, but I've never trusted Christ. Can I encourage you to trust Christ this morning? A few have already come. Would you come this morning if God's spoken to your heart?